You're listening to Father Kirby Longo's Homilies, powered by Mountain Catholic. Father Kirby is a priest of the Roman Catholic Diocese of Helena, the parochial vicar of St. Anne's Parish in Butte, Montana, and chaplain of Butte Central Catholic Schools. Enjoy. People chosen by God to witness to the world. Uh, A priestly people set apart as God's holy ones. And what's their reaction to hearing the law? To, in a sense, hearing their identity. They weep, which is an odd reaction. Uh, They know the law is true. They know that it's their joy. They know that it's only in keeping the law that they'll be free. And in any other life that they live, they end up in slavery and oppression. Yet they weep when they hear the law. Uh, So that's the setting for the first reading. And I'll return to my conversation with these high schoolers. So I've been presenting uh, some, somewhat in the underground, but somewhat publicly, uh, the idea of a phone-free campus at Butte Central. And it's cert- currently just like a brainchild of mine. It's gained zero traction. <laughs> but but I, I, I've been reading way too many studies about how destructive you know, smartphones are to kids' educations and all that. And so I kind of shared a lot of this with them. Uh, and after sharing it with them, there was just kind of a moment of silence and then just rage. And no, not actual weeping, but it, re- it was very similar to the Israelites in Jerusalem, I think. And, and there wasn't any argument against the proposal. The kids know that they're just distracted all day long by their phones. They have enough self-knowledge for that. Uh, but but the, the eventual response was, if you do this, I'll go to Butte High. That was the only, th- only response they had. But I knew I had struck a nerve, which was my only goal. I wasn't going to try to get them to agree with me. So... I, I pushed into it and asked them, you know, why, why is this a hill you're willing to die on when, when you know it's better for your education to, to, in a sense, give this up on a daily basis? And they just grumbled and didn't really have an answer. And then I asked, you know, don't your parents restrict all this stuff anyways when you get home and restrict your phones or TV or, or your gaming? And most of them said, no, not really. And and that's when I was kind of like, man, I, I mean, I've looked at your average screen time. And most of them are averaging a solid six hours on their phones and then probably three to four hours of gaming or Netflix in the evenings. And so I asked, just honestly, don't you think restrictions would be a good thing? Don't you think if your parents forced you off of these things that it would be better for your life? Uh, and they thought about that seriously and And then their answer was kind of the fascinating part of the conversation. They told me that no matter what a parent does, in their opinion, uh, no matter what the parent tries to do as far as restrictions or or boundaries or anything like that, that a kid's just going to do what they want to do in the end. Uh, That that if they actually put these restrictions, it might be worse because then they're just going to rebel the second that they leave from home and it'll be be worse in the end. They're just going to go crazy with all these things. And although that's wrong, it didn't surprise me that those kids were wrong on that. They're on the wrong side of the negotiation table when it comes to the parenting restrictions thing. But, but it, it did strike me because that is the temptation of all parents. Uh, they, the kids had an insight there. that It's always the temptation of a parent. It's like, why bother doing these things, these 
living in this difficult way, restricting you know, phones or gaming or TV or enforcing bedtimes or curfews or, or making your kids study or making them play an instrument or making them play sports or making them go to church, uh, when in the end, it just sort of makes them unhappy and, and then they don't like you and then in the end, they're just going to do what they want to do. Is that actually how the world works? Uh, that's a temptation to believe that that's how the world works. And when, it, and when we put it blunt, bluntly, it's kind of a provoking question. And, and, and it strikes not just at the root of parenting, but at the root of who we are as people. But I still don't know if the parallel that I'm, I'm trying to make is clear here. So let's go back to the reading. Why do the Israelites weep when Ezra reads the law? Why are they sad? Because they're, well, they're free from exile. They're free from oppression for the first time. They're back in Jerusalem for the first time in 70 years. Many of them have never even been to Jerusalem. Shouldn't they be joyful right now? They're weeping because they've been reminded of a law that demands everything of them. A law that demands perfection. And a perfection that's actually impossible. They weep because they now have to make real, concrete sacrifices if they want to return to the Lord. And they aren't even sure if they're capable of making them. And I think that attitude exists in all of us when we're faced with something that's both difficult and good for us. And I use the example of phones because it's an easy thing and, and there's almost all of us are addicted to our phones in some regard or another. But we can say that about anything in our lives. You know, we know we should eat healthier, but we don't. We know we should probably work out more, but we don't. Uh, or at least the idea of it makes us sad. And regarding all these things, do we actually believe that we can attain virtue? And that means that we want to do that thing that's hard. Uh, do you actually believe that informing your children, if you put these difficult restrictions on them, uh, if you in a sense, guide them in a way that's not easy, that eventually they will come to actually know that that thing is better, that they will choose the good that's more difficult, that they'll be virtuous. And the, and the definition of virtue is the habit of choosing the good, uh, the good that's more difficult than the easy route. But I, I'm just now arriving at my point because it, although it's difficult to raise virtuous children it's, uh, and attain virtue ourselves, that's not the point. I'm not giving a lecture on virtue. I'm giving a homily on the gospel, trying to preach the gospel. And there's nothing in the world, there's nothing that makes the world weep and rage like the gospel. Because our world wants to affirm every passion and whim that we have that arises within us and within our children as though it's an absolute truth or an absolute good. All those things are good. And shame on anyone who questions that. But our gospel is not that way. Our gospel does not just affirm our desires. Jesus comes to bring glad tidings to the poor, to proclaim liberty to captives, freedom, or recovery of sight to the blind, let the oppressed go free, and to proclaim a year acceptable to the Lord. And the ways of our time are not that. They'll bring nothing but oppression of the weak by the strong, and slavery of all of us to our passions. Isolation and alienation from our neighbors. Uh, and hatred of our family and friends. We see that already in our society. Yet when we look at the gospel, 
at the teaching of our own church, at the one thing that we know will bring us joy, uh, we weep. You know, I, in a sense, I weep when I hear the gospel because I know I'm not living that way. You know, I'm selfish and weak. I'm lazy and indifferent to the needs of my neighbor. I'm, I don't preach the gospel when it needs to be preached. And I'm too weak in my faith to actually believe that God can somehow right the ship of this world. Uh, and, but do we believe that the church was founded by Jesus Christ? That's the, that's the question. Do we believe that, that the demands of this church, though heroic and though difficult, will actually bring us joy? And we need to ask ourselves that question because the world is certainly asking us that question. Our culture is asking us that question. And not only asking it, but many in our culture have already condemned us as, as hateful bigots. And, but how do we move forward in all this? I think the only option is first to listen to Ezra and then to listen to Jesus in the gospel. For they tell us, in a sense, how to live this way. When the people are weeping... Ezra responds by saying, Do not be saddened on this day, for rejoicing in the Lord must be your strength. Tells him, it's not you who's going to live this. It's the Lord who's going to allow you to live this. And it's the only thing that will bring you joy. But they didn't even have the grace of the new covenant in Christ. They were trying to live the law without grace. We have the actual strength to live the law that we're, we're called to. And Jesus says in the gospel today, today the scripture passage is fulfilled in your hearing. When he died on the cross, he gave us the strength and grace to live this new law. And not only to live lives of virtue, but to live lives of saints. And, and this is actually the only road to freedom. Uh, and if we don't live it as Christians, no one's going to live it. We're the only ones who can witness to this. So if we don't witness it to it, the world will never know the great grace of the gospel. This is our Christian mission, and it's a joyful mission. And that's key to this. Uh, we live it heroically, but we live it in a joyful way. So let us take courage and rejoice in the Lord who is our strength.